This is Killstreak. Problematic men. It's Killstreak episode. Oh no, I didn't check beforehand. It's the newest episode of Killstreak. You know it. You love it. Uh, keep stalling. Keep stalling. I'm it. Eric Goslin. <laughs> Thank you for joining here, us here at Killstreak on what is our final year of Killstreak. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 192. 192. You found it and you were emceeing at the same time. <laughs> So, yeah, thanks. A, f- a final year. I can't believe the end is finally in sight. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry, guys. Not just for us, for all podcasts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm kidding. I just uh, said that to mess with Mike because we did not discuss anything of the sort. We're going strong, baby. Today. Oh, Mike. Jeez, you have so much different in your life now. Not really. No. <laughs> you spent... I actually came back and everything in my life is almost exactly, exactly. the same. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So tell our uh, listening audience why we were not able to record for a couple weeks. Sure. Well, first of all, if I sound a little horsey, um, I've had like a weird, I had a sinus infection before the holidays and it went away, but I've had this lingering like cough phlegm thing for going on three weeks now. Uh, It's a little unpleasant, but hopefully it makes for a sexy radio voice. Should I take this Tylenol with codeine just for fun <laughs> i don't i wouldn't take it until at least the middle of the second segment okay i won't i don't, I don't think i'm going to okay wimp um, <laughs> anyways get, what is it called when you're on codeine get, sl- get slow what is it Slurp? yeah scissorp scissorp and then there's another word i forget it's good we should just guess we should keep guessing okay until we... <laughs> i think it's get slurp <laughs> okay <clears throat> well it's perp Perp, like purple. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was in Asia with my wife for what we can now finally call our honeymoon. You finally did it. We did it. We would not refer to it as such for um, the whole run up to this trip because my first, our first two honeymoons were cursed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't need to get into all the, the unfortunate details of those two trips, but. Suffice to say, we were married for more than 18 months, and we hadn't had <clears throat> a successful trip away uh, to celebrate the two of us. And now we have. We went to Japan and to Vietnam. Um, it was very fun, and I ate a lot of very delicious food and walked a lot and saw lots of cool things and yeah. relaxed. Uh, I, bought a, I bought a new Japanese chef's knife. And <clears throat> I ate... More 7-Eleven egg salad sandwiches than a man should in a two-week period. But damned if they aren't as good as everybody says they are. Yeah, Japanese 7-Elevens are awesome. Um, I've never been to Vietnam, but I, I had been to Japan, uh, like, well, geez, going on like 12 years now at this point. Man. It's been a while. Um, but I um, do back. Uh, and yeah, the, the convenience stores there are just yeah incredible. They're like yeah, grocery right. stores. They really are. Are you waiting to go back until the statute of limitations runs out on? <laughs> oh fuck! I meant to say you were on a sex thing. tourism <laughs> trip. 
Yeah, it's crazy. Vietnam, usually they don't really they turn a blind eye to that stuff, but uh, you cross a certain line. And, oh, no. Um, <laughs> oh, no. No. Uh, yeah. 7 uh, Eleven in Japan makes me mad at the United States mostly. Yeah. Uh, we talked a little bit yesterday. Mm-hmm. You didn't really watch any horror movies or anything, did you? No, I didn't. Naughty boy. I was bad. I watched a bunch of the Harry Potter movies for the 20th time. Mm-hmm. Um, what did I watch? I watched The Bone Collector. That's oh, a right, thriller. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that's horror adjacent. Um, I watched VHS. Right. Oh, yeah. That's the movie yeah. we're discussing today. Yeah. Yeah. 2012's VHS, the found footage anthology horror series, you know, that started this whole franchise, like six movies. Um, Mm -hmm. I've realized I was looking at the movies yesterday, like just kind of going through the synopses, skimming them. And I think I've only seen three of the six. Okay. I may have only, I think I've only seen two, the first two. I've seen one, 94. Or the '80s one and the '94 one. I didn't realize there was a '99 one. Also, that that one passed. Me yeah, by. they've come in triples now, right? So there mm. was like the first three, and then they took a long time off, and then yeah, there've been three more recently. So I'm excited to watch some some new movies. Uh, do you want to get into it? The only horror movie I saw, I think, I'd have to look at my journal, which isn't in here. Mm. You know, my uh, IRL letterboxed. Um, <laughs> was Godzilla minus one not really a horror movie but you know it's a monster movie for sure uh, I liked it a lot it's very fun um, I think it'll, some of the online reaction as it tends to be is a little hyperbolic mm-hmm. a lot of like it's a real movie that just happens to have Godzilla in it and like no I think it's a Godzilla movie for sure yeah <laughs> but there is like I think the the biggest thing with this one is that it tells like a really nice personal story mm-hmm. amongst amidst all this and it's not like Obviously, the person in it, it turns out to be important, but like, it's not like you know Brian Cranston's the general or whatever the fuck you mm. know, the Gareth Edwards one is. It's like it's just a guy who's like a soldier, but he's just a guy, really. And, sure, and it's like his personal journey. So it was cool, and it's uh, it's nice. I liked it. I liked it a lot. Well, um, I'm I'm glad to hear that. <clears throat> I've been meaning to see it, um, and I will. Uh, do you know Eric who? directed the last godzilla feature film in america oh oh yes actually i do adam wingard that's right yeah adam wingard one of the directors of vhs Mm -hmm. the movie we're covering today uh if anybody at home and the listening audience has any idea why there are uh fucking uh backslashes in between oh, yeah. V and H and S in this title. Please let me know, because that's not how you wrote VHS. No. That's not how it appeared on a VHS tape. And it's really annoying when you're searching for this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Depending on what search box you're typing in, yep. it may find nothing yep. unless you put the backslashes in there. Um, so it's anyways. Annoying. Yeah, this one's a real who's who of modern horror directors. Yeah. And directors. Uh- yeah, in a certain genre. Certain certain genre. Yeah, this is something I was. Uh, we're, obviously, this will come up. A lot of directors that are associated with the mumblecore movement. Yeah, um, absolutely. I would say that you could pretty much sum up 
almost almost everyone involved in this with that the one exception to that might be david bruckner yeah who not coincidentally was also someone who was sort of brought in late to fill a slot Mm. um he's uh people may recall he he directed the hellraiser reboot that we covered just a few months ago right um but yes by and large this movie uh kind of revolves around the mumble gore arms that's mumble mumble g is in god almighty gore uh not c as in christ the redeemer right right um which came from the mumble core well yeah. and i think we've talked about mumble core before when we did adam wingard mm-hmm. um but you know if for i'm sure all of our listeners know but if you don't it's just like a very niche genre that popped up in like the late mid to late 2000s early 2000s early actually. 2000s okay yeah uh, and it's really low budgets, um, usually very uh, dialogue driven. I would say sexually frank. A lot of nudity it, it mm-hmm. was like kind of a touchstone. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of a lot of actor bullshit. I would say <laughs> a lot of like improvisation. So, and, like, so much improvisation. That's a huge part of like almost defining the genre. Yeah. And we, um, we got like Mark Duplass from there, Joe Swanberg, who is represented a couple times in this in this mm-hmm. movie, um, and uh, uh, Greta Gerwig, Andrew Greta Gerwig, Bajals- yes, Andrew yes. Bajalski, and then yeah. he's he's considered to be, I think, the first. He's sort of like the original mumblecore guy mm-hmm. is, is Bajalski, and then you get the Duplass brothers and Greta Gerwig, and yeah, yeah. Um, so these are probably some of these are familiar names, even if you're not a fan of the movement per se. Also, most of the people, a lot of the people like Bajelski, for instance, were like, it's not a movement. <laughs> right, like, right, right. It's like, this is just how I make movies. So if other people like making movies that are similar, that's, that's awesome. But yeah. they, a handful of them were working together, but I think a lot of it was just a product of what you could do once digital cameras became viable, um, mm-hmm. for shooting films which was not coincidentally right around this time. So mm-hmm. it's like Bajelski started in like 02, 03, I think. Um, was it the comfy chair, the red chair, something the, the, chair? the puffy chair? That's the Duplass Brothers. Oh, that's Duplass movie. Brothers? Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there's one other big director I'm forgetting, but it's not that important. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so if Mumblecore has existed since like 2002, then Mumble Gore. Uh, if you wanted to really name it as a genre, was only only started a few years later, and it pretty much started with one man who is represented in this film, and we have sort of half-covered one of his movies before. And I will go out on a limb and say that we at Killstreak are fans of this director, and that is Ty West. Mm-hmm. Um, so he had a movie in 2005 called The Roost, and a lot of people considered that to be sort of the first mumble gore film. <clears throat> um, and then from there, things kind of snowballed a little bit. Um, but I'll say that as far as like establishing mumble gore as a true genre, this movie that we're covering today, VHS, is a big, it's a big keystone, I think, there. Yeah, I think so. Because you've pretty much just got uh, Ty West 
And then the year before this came out, uh, Adam Wingard, who we talked about a little bit up top, uh, directed a movie called You're Next. Mm-hmm. Um, and even uh, before that, the, Dupl- the Duplass brothers did Baghead. Oh, I've never seen that. So that's a horror movie? Yep. Wow. I never would have guessed that. Um, I saw it. I don't remember it very well. Um, but I think I liked it when I saw it. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. 2008 that came out. Yeah. There's Jeremy Saulnier's first movie too, which I think people sort of consider to be mumble gore, although he's not really a mumble core director in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, murder party. That's 2007. Oh yeah. 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 That movie. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I saw that. Yeah. yeah. I think it just kind of got lumped in. Yeah, I mean, I would say that movie's like bigger budget than than you would associate, or sure. at least looks bigger budget than you would yeah, associate. Yeah, it's with. trying to be a, it's not trying to like be, because so, there is this element of mumblecore stuff that's like a little kind of edges into the like the Dogma 95 territory yeah. of like, we aren't going to do certain things. Yes, um, yes. And if you, so it's even if you like are mostly coming from a place of making a mumblecore movie, but if you violate certain tenets, it ceases to be mumblecore. Like for a long time, that was like casting big actors. And then the dam, I think, finally broke on that, you know, mm-hmm. in, the, in the aughts <clears throat> um, when you started to see Slightly bigger actors at least start to show. Yeah, like a John C. Riley and right. You know. mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but uh, I'm gonna try something new, Eric. That I might try to do <clears throat> uh, a little more in my opening segments this season of Killstreak, which I, I want to give a quick little bit of context for what's going on with movies uh, when this came out because. Uh, almost coincidentally this movie because i was so curious and in sort of like when did the genre start and where is it at i did i did a lot of looking at just to see what other movies were out there and i thought it was kind of interesting um so this debuted in october of 2012 mm-hmm. uh super limited release like never more than 20 theaters um screened at a couple festivals but it was mostly destined for direct to video or streaming at that point, you know, streaming was kind of coming up. Yeah. Um, and, um, kind of weirdly, I, I, I coincidentally almost, uh, so there's another anthology horror film called the ABCs of death. Yeah. Yeah. I've uh, never seen that. It's, I saw it and I remember liking it. All right. Um, okay. it's the conceit of it that I enjoy is there are 26 segments. So it's like none of them are longer than five minutes and most of them are like three in the three to four minute range. That's cool. Um, Yeah. So it's, you know, even if you hate the one you're watching, you know, it's going to be over in the time it takes to go to the bathroom and come back. So it's freeing in a way. But that that movie was produced uh, in kind of in cooperation with South by Southwest. Uh, Or no, I'm sorry. Maybe South by South South by, but uh, Alamo Drafthouse. I'm getting my. You know, my Austin movie. Is Fantastic uh, Fest involved at all? Uh, in ABCs of Death? I it's don't all right. You don't have to check. No. Um, yeah. But um, that one was kind of a more um, wide-spanning sort of collection of directors. There were a bunch of, inter- <clears throat> excuse me, a bunch of international directors participated. But there's also a handful of people from this movie that also directed segments. Adam Wingard has one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Simon Barrett, who is more of a writer, I think, 
Um, he's written a bunch of Adam Wingard movies, and he's, yeah, he wrote like Year Next. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think he, he, you know, he continued to work. He he has some role in this, probably behind the scenes, but he's he's credited as an actor in this. He does have have an on camera role in VHS. Mm-hmm. But so you know, um, ABCs of Death came out like a month before this, um, so it's kind of an interesting time for, um. I don't know what you want to call them, anthology, omnibus, whatever, whatever term you like, but uh, we'll, we'll we'll use anthology horror series for now, because um, it's something that I think you know we've talked about it. We talked about it probably pretty extensively when we covered the creep show movies, um, but it's you know like a lot of horror genres, I think it you know it has come and gone in waves, um, and I would say that that this year really 2012 sort of launched another wave of anthology mm-hmm. and its popularity. And, you know, based on the fact that we just got like the third VHS sequel in three years or four years, it's still going pretty strong. Um, but anyways, uh, that's enough about ABCs of death, other stuff going on in the world of horror. When, uh, the year, that uh vhs came out we get paranormal activity 4 silent hill revelation and sinister are all in theaters for this halloween season so here's a little peek ahead okay Uh, i'm unveiling a new segment that that uh involves me picking a year in horror and looking at all the some of the movies there okay and i initially picked 2012 Ah. Um, but I did I actually ended up going with something else because I didn't think there was enough like movies that mm-hmm. would be guessable. Sure. Um, and so I kind of know I, I kind of did get a sneak peek at this already. Well, that's great. Um, I always love it when you're, uh, you know, informed, informed. <laughs> <laughs> Those rare occasions. Um, yeah, but um. Yeah, so the Paranormal Activity franchise is going strong at this point. And uh, worth noting that Paranormal Activity, one of, I would argue, one of the things that is still keeping the found footage genre alive at this point. Um, Because in 2012, and I'll just speak anecdotally, I remember hearing about VHS and thinking, ugh, more found footage. Uh huh. Right? Because by this point, <clears throat> to me at least the the you know the format was a little bit beat to death um rec had come out uh when was that like a, a couple years prior uh, i have it written down here somewhere yeah so rec 3 came out in 2012 okay um but then in terms of other found footage horror movies you know obviously we talked about blair witch um plenty but uh, just as an example of kind of other stuff that's been out there. So, like, Paranormal Actor- Activity and Rec both came out in 2007. That's five years prior to this, right? Mm-hmm. Cloverfield, Diary of the Dead, which we covered, uh, Unfortunate, um, Romero sequel was 2008. Yeah. You know, even Paranormal Activity, th- by, we're, we're, we're already at Paranormal Activity 4 by this year. So, it's kind of s- like... I think almost, you know, kudos to this movie for breaking through with that because I feel like you kind of had to overcome a little bit of a handicap with that being a little run down. We gotta um, do rec at some point. I just don't know that yeah. they're available. Uh, I'm, in, I'm down. Yeah. 
Yeah, probably not for like a fucking year. Yeah, now, not we're after doing it. We're doing six found footage movies. <laughs> yeah, um, just a couple quick things from 2012. So stuff that Eric knows. Uh, other notable horror movies from this year: Cabin in the Woods, The Lords of Salem, mm-hmm. uh, Piranha Three, Double D, baby. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Prometheus, another movie yep. we've covered. Um, yeah. The biggest movies of the year, just to place it in the timeline. So this is the year the Avengers came out. Okay. Uh, Dark Knight Rises, the first Hunger Games movie, the end of the Twilight series, and the beginning of the Hobbit series. <laughs> um, so that's kind of what's going on. Now, uh, the way that this movie came together, whereas ABCs of Death was kind of an Alamo Drafthouse thing, this movie is essentially the brainchild of now producer, but at the time, website founder, Brad Miska, who started Bloody Disgusting. Mm-hmm. Um, and he essentially joined forces with um, a, a film director, producer, writer named Roxanne Benjamin. Mm-hmm. Um, and the two of them... I meant to look that name up. Yeah, she well, she just did. There's something wrong with the children, um, that came out this last year, and I had I had noticed it. I had seen it somewhere, and and it sort of piqued my interest. Um, but yeah, she worked on she worked on Southbound. Mm -hmm. Um, she worked on the first two VHS movies, and then she kind of tried to transition over to directing. I think kind of a few years after VHS. Um, so she's done a bunch of music videos and stuff. She did a Cherry Glazer video. Oh, cool. Uh, and has done a bunch of TV directing. So Riverdale, Sabrina, Nancy Drew, Pretty Little Liars, Creepshow. Um, so, yeah, she's uh, she's got, I, I would say, a good role going as an up-and-coming director. But at this point, she was working as a producer, and she was very much in with all of these, uh, and we'll say for this movie at least, guys. The directors mm-hmm. are all guys. Uh, they're all pretty white seeming guys. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's something I want to talk about. Does that bleed through into the film? We'll discuss. We'll later. see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um but yeah, so uh Miska kind of through working on Bloody Disgusting and writing a lot about horror had kind of relationships with a lot of these people. Uh and so that's sort of how sort of they they went sort of how they went about putting the movie together was just like, Hey, would you want to do this? Would you want to do this? And going out to these different folks. Um, and so we end up with, uh, here's our, our platter of directors. Adam Wingard, uh, does the framing narrative, uh, of the film. David mm-hmm. Bruckner directs the first segment, amateur night, Ty West, second honeymoon, Glenn McQuaid, uh, who is a little bit of an outsider to this group. Yeah. I was, I didn't recognize He's Irish and he hasn't directed a lot of stuff. He's, I believe he's mostly a VFX guy. Okay. Um, and then, uh, that's third segment, fourth segment. Um, the sick thing that happened to Emily when she was younger, that's Joe Swanberg. Yeah. And then the final one, uh, 10, 31, 98 is directed by radio silence. Right. Um, who, who at the, the time two sleep uh, screen movies yes yeah, so radio silence in this form is a four-person co- like cooperative 
Um, and I literally wrote in my notes, how do four people direct a movie? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess they're all they're probably like a four man team, like, obviously, but a four, yeah. like a one man team. But like, you know, special effects, all this yes. shit. Like, I think they do all Th- of that's that. That's almost that. So so that's right. And, and on their lower budget stuff, I think that's kind of how they do it on something like this kind of doing a little bit of my own research. I like to do my own research, Eric. Um, yeah, I mean you have to. I don't I don't want to be spoon-fed by big no. horror media. You're not a um, sheeple. I'm not. A shirtperson. 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 Sheepperson. Sheepperson. Like a woman. Um but anyways, uh yeah, going kind of deeper into the resumes of these guys um because this radio science radio science is for people, but the screen movies are only directed by two, uh, yeah. Tyler Bellinelli and Matt. Uh, what's his fucking name? <laughs> I don't Gulp, know. Gulp, Gulpin, Gulpin, something. <laughs> Matt uh, Gulpin. <laughs> Gulpin jizz. Gulpin it down. Uh, sorry, I feel bad now. I gotta. Uh, Tyler Gillette and Matt Bellinelli Gulpin. Those are the names. Okay. Okay, but the other two guys, Justin Martinez and Chad Villela, it seems pretty clear that Justin Martinez is the VFX guy mm-hmm. um, because that's what most of his work has been since this. Um, and then Chad Villela seems to be the producer um, as he has produced uh, almost all the VHS movies. And uh, he also was a producer on both the Scream movies that they did. Okay. And supposedly they're working on... Uh, a sequel to Escape from New York that I hope never happens. Oh, no. No, please. No. <laughs> I don't want that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, after we get Scream 7, I think it's going to be. I've heard it's been smooth sailing, so I'm excited to see what kind of product they <laughs> Well, who's they directing? Who's supposed to direct Scream 7? I forgot. Landon uh, Christopher Landon. Christopher yeah. Landon. Who, um, he was a big part of the Paranormal Activity franchise ah. before he switched to features but he so he did happy death day and yes, happy death day to right. you and then freaky um and he has kind of a cutesy uh approach it would seem to making horror movies which is basically just reskinning other movie micro genres with horror which yeah. i think is not the worst idea anybody's ever had yeah but basically freaky is freaky friday but it's a horror movie happy death day to you is groundhog day but it's a horror movie um so it's a deep well to plumb. Uh, maybe he should bail on Scream and just do just do something good. Do another one of the <laughs> things he does. Yeah. Um, okay. So yes, Radio Silence, last set of directors, um, writers, mostly the directors themselves. A couple other credited writers, Simon Barrett, who I mentioned, works on the wraparound narrative, <laughs> which we can discuss that. Uh, and then uh, David Bruckner had a co-writer named Nicholas Tukoski, who I don't really know. But other than that, they're all pretty much written by the directors. Um, and then, yeah, produced by Brad Miska, Roxanne Benjamin, and Simon Barrett. The um, budget is hard to say. They They certainly like to talk about it as though they spent almost no money. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, there is a quote, there's a quoted budget somewhere, I think, uh, for like a quarter million dollars. Yeah. That's what I saw. Um, but I think I also then read a couple different things that were like, that might be low. Um, that might be high. 
kind of hard to say. Um, but anyways, the movie did pretty well. It made $2 million, even though, like I said, it was only in like 20 theaters for a month, wow. um, which kind of makes you go, why don't you put it in more theaters then? Yeah. yeah. Sometimes distributors are weird. Um, but yeah, pretty well received, generally speaking. Um, like all anthologies, it got kind of tagged as hit and miss, right? Some of the segments are better than others. Uh, Ebert did not like it. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people uh, complaining about the length mm-hmm. uh, at almost two hours long. Uh, and then also something that you hear a lot when people are criticizing the found footage genre, shaky camera work being just kind of unpleasant to watch for that much time. Yeah. Um, and sort of, uh, yeah, disorienting. Uh, some people say it makes them sick to them to their stomachs. Uh, so yeah, it's 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 a little bit of a acquired taste. Um, actors, not a lot of famous actors. Um, honestly, the most notable actors in the cast are directors. Right. Um. So in the wraparound narrative. Uh, one of the hooligans is played by Adam Wingard. Another one is Simon Barrett. Another one is Andrew, Andrew Draws Palermo, who is the DP of the film, as much as the movie has a consistent DP through all the segments. Um, and he also has continued to work with um, uh, not Wingard. Well, he did Your Next with Wingard, and then he switched over to working with David Lowry. So he shot oh, a wow. ghost story and The Green Knight, which I think is a fabulously photographed film. oh yeah so both i um, like ghost story looks beautiful too yeah so um yeah he's he's a talented guy uh yeah so he's another one of the the, the thug types uh almost no one noteworthy in the second segment and then the star uh or i'll say the two stars of second honeymoon the third segment so you mentioned joe swanberg showing up multiple times mm-hmm. he plays sam mm-hmm. one of the co-leads of this do you know who the other co-lead is stephanie i didn't recognize her no so her name is sophia to call does that name ring a bell it does ring a bell but i'm not being able to place it she is the director of the most recent black christmas movie oh the woke black christmas the woke christmas (laughs) yeah that's right one of one of uh three feature films she's directed um yeah, so, but, you know, kind of gives you an idea is it's like, that's a mumblecore thing, too, is like casting direct other directors from the right. scene. And, and if you, you get a sense that a lot of the directors are also start got their start from acting and they're all very mm-hmm. actor focused, you know? Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Um, nobody's super recognizable in the next two segments. And then 103198, the closing segment. Um, Three of the main four guys are radio silence. Oh, so, okay. So it's Chad, Matt, and Tyler. And then there's a fourth guy, Paul, who's played by an actor. But Justin Martinez, the VFX guy, he's the only one who doesn't appear as an actor in the film. He's too busy doing those special effects, those VFX. Yeah, that's right. I'm going to close my window because even though I've been warm, there's really loud dog barking out there. Mm, I heard a motorcycle earlier. That's oh, scary. God. What have I done? <clears throat> Uh, that's about all I got. Um, yeah, it went. It, it was popular enough. Its sequel came out just a year later, um, and you know, it's it's since spawned a franchise that continues on until this most recent year that just ended. 
All right, let's take a quick break, and we'll come back and talk about the plot. Okay, here's the deal. We gotta break into this house, and all we have to do is steal this one VHS tape. Which one is it? I don't know, man. Let's just look at these, okay? What's so special about this tape, anyway? It's not haunted. I'm sure there's a reasonable explanation. back we're gonna do things a little bit differently with this series because since it is anthology we're gonna we're gonna talk about the segments after i read the synopsis for that segment um so with that in mind let's do our blood and guts check so is this a movie you should check out did we enjoy it um you'd seen this yeah we both had seen this before Mm -hmm. second time around i I would say for myself i had a, a less fun time watching it than i think i did the first time i watched it Okay. Um, I think a lot of the something we alluded to in the last segment, a lot of the male whiteness in the misogyny, even if it is sort of like meant to be making yeah, it's taking shots at that, but it gets so but, fucking tiring. Yeah. After like five seg, well, mostly like five segments of that shit, like women getting their like shirts ripped off and stuff. Yeah, I would say it's less like, um, like, it's not so much that they failed to portray that sort of stuff as negative. They do. They they try to and they succeed. But it's also like, but you're still left with then having to watch a movie where like 60% of the characters are like gross college frat boys. Yes. And you just get sick of it. And you're like, can I, can we just have some different. You know, like I'll say that uh, Second Honeymoon is like a nice break from things just because it's like, well, these are adults. Yeah, I guess. But there's still yeah. a scene where he's like, come on, mm-hmm. come on, fuck me on camera. Like it's. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, you're it, right. And so that sort of got me thinking about like Joe Swanberg, who's I would say is his work I enjoy for the most part. Although I wonder if uh, some of these Mumblecore guys, Joe Swanberg, I don't know that they can get away with the shit that they've done in movies anymore. I think yeah. that era has passed them by. And also, is it problematic in a way? Like, obviously, everybody's consenting adults, but it, I don't know. The, the, I know they're trying to make a comment on things, but it really does mm. center around 
white male sexuality and it's a lot i don't know it just like it feels are you talking about swanberg in general now i'm sort of talking about the movement in general and swanberg in general that was just a thought i had i don't know if it's a discussion because we'd have to like watch more of his movies to discuss but this is not something i want to play devil's advocate with so that's not what i'm doing yeah 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 but i will say this it's like this kind of movie it feels like it would be hard for it not to be kind of autobiographical. Yeah. Um, because of the way that it's made and just sort of like, I mean, what I've seen of Mumblecore, it doesn't seem like you go, okay, I'm going to make a Mumblecore movie about fucking swords and sorcerers and like a bunch of weird, diverse characters. It's like, no, it's about these people's lives for the most yeah. part. Um, and I think at this time in the aughts, it's this really terrible time for I think misogyny in general. Yeah. Um, and it's also like it's just hard to be a like a, this is this is a time period when no one's really making great strides to diversify, you know, the sort of roster of directors that are getting movie made movies made. So it is all just white guys making movies, and so yeah, I think as a byproduct you just see so much of that material because it's their autobiographical shit on screen. So I think I got started thinking about this because there was some account that po- there's like a, I had to do a little bit of research about this, but apparently okay. there's a, there's a, an account called no agency or they're like a, uh, I don't know. They re- every year they release like an erotic um, photo album, like, like okay. a, a magazine or whatever. And in one of them, it's Joe Swanberg getting his dick sucked. <laughs> Or something Jesus like that. Jesus Christ! And, and I did a little like I, I mm-hmm. maybe it's maybe that's just like going through internet and it's not true, but yeah, look up no agency Joe Swanberg. I'm gonna search. So, I'm searching something slightly different. Um, <laughs> and so that that just got me like, and I was like, that's kind of a weird thing to put out there. Yeah, if you're like a male director. I don't know. It was just it it, it rubbed me the wrong way, and then the, the followed up by watching this movie. Anyway. That's all to say I had less of a good time watching this than I initially did when I first saw it. Mm-hmm. What about you? Yeah. Um, I generally agree. I think, um, well, I had, I'll say, that I think this is the third time I've watched it. And so I had pretty preconceived notions going into it. And I would say that there weren't a lot of revelations um, so when I watched this the, the first time, you know, in the early 2010s, I was like, yeah, it's okay. Some of, uh, there's a couple of these that I like, and then the rest were fine, I guess. Um, my memory was always that the frame narrative was shitty. Mm-hmm. Um, I still agree with that. Um, but, um, yeah, I would just say that it's like what, whatever kind of like novelty or exciting newness that might've been here. 10 years ago is worn off a little bit. Um, and I think, um, but, but then again, I think my opinion kind of like is dependent on which segment we're talking about, but yes, overall there is a, there is a sort of grossness that pervades almost all of this movie that makes it less enjoyable than it could be. I'd also say too, there's something about the found footage genre that compels the actors to, especially if it's improvised largely, to mm-hmm. con- constantly talk and make noise. 
Yeah. And it's like, I, it gets so annoying after a while. I'm just like, hey, what are you doing? No, fuck you, man. What is that? What are you doing? Uh, right. Oh, fuck. Yeah, the CRT. Oh, yeah. Oh, fuck. No. Nah. It's just like, shut so the there's, fuck up for a little there's bit. There's this moment in Amateur Night, um, which, spoiler, is like one of the better segments yeah. in, this, in this anthology, um, where finally the main character goes into a bathroom and slams the door. And for just brief moments, no one is talking. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Oh yeah, this is a thing that happens in movies where you just watch what's happening. Yes. And people, yes. And like you think a little bit and they think a little bit or they maybe do an action. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, you're, you're a hundred percent right. That, um, I think that that kind of chaotic, always talking thing is annoying and i will say that a lot of the cam work is really annoying yes um, yeah yeah all right but uh yeah let's you want to get into the individual segment let's get into it so there's a frame narrative directed by adam wingard uh the frame narrative focuses on a criminal gang hmm, gang seems weird uh <laughs> who film their exploits include which includes smashing walls windows and light fixtures of an abandoned house and sexually assaulting women in a parking lot uh, an anonymous source offers them a large sum of money to break into a house and steal a single VHS tape. The gang accepts the task, eager to expand their criminal enterprises. Entering the house, the criminals find the corpse of an old man sitting in front of several televisions playing white noise. While the other criminals are free to roam the house, Brad stays behind in the TV room with a dead body to watch a tape left in the VCR. And Brad is Adam Wingard. Yeah, and this is the first of uh, five frame narrative segments. Yeah, I think, yeah, five, uh, four or five, I can't remember. They end yeah. before the movie ends. Yes, there's an epilogue before the last 1031.98. There's three interludes, and then this is the introduction. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this this stuff is such a perfect encapsulation of kind of this debate we're having, which is like, mm-hmm. these guys are definitely supposed to seem bad yes, and gross, and they are bad and gross. Um, the sexual assault thing, so in case you're wondering, it's basically like they attack a woman in a parking garage yeah. and and pull forcibly pull her shirt up. So that you can see her breasts and they record it on camera. Yeah. It, um, it's a moment it's, too that repeats several times in the in the um credits to the movie. Mm-hmm. Like it, there's like a music video style credits yeah. that's made from this footage. And it's like really gratuitous for the, that is. moment. Yeah. Yeah. It's about as unpleasant as a topless scene can be. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in a film. I here's this is this is sort of my thing. I I was like thinking about what it was probably like for all these dudes to shoot these scenes and I feel like there's there's some crossover in it which is like oh yeah and like gross guys would like do this and do this but you can also tell that they're having fun doing it. Yeah. And there- it just feels like a little bit too like telling on yourself, I think. And also, it's really annoying and disjointed. And I think this one seems very inspired by, like, the... After Jackass came out, like, in the rise of skate videos, too, mm-hmm. um, there's... This is shit people would do. They would just, like, film themselves 
yeah. being jackasses, trying to be like jackass, mm. um, and breaking shit. And you know, obviously, the sexual assault thing is kind of above and beyond. I never saw any of yeah. that in any video. But um, yeah. So it, to call them a gang is weird. They seem more like a just a group of fuck ups. You know? Yeah. They're yeah. not really a criminal enterprise. They're just like they get. There's paid one for guy these tapes. who's. Yeah, there's the one guy who's sort of pushing forward yeah. this oh. job. Yes. Right? My other note for that, sorry, you mentioned the one guy, and he just looks like a fucking... I, I say this as a man, right? A white guy with a mustache. <laughs> He's also a white guy with a mustache. He just looks like a 26-year-old hipster or 24-year-old yeah. hipster. Like the, yeah. And that's kind of one of the problems with this. It's like They don't look like criminals. They just look like mm-hmm. Chicago hipsters, which is probably yeah. what they were. This entire movie, the cast is just populated with the most forgettable fucking white dudes. Yes, yes. Um, and it's, at a certain point, it does become really hard to tell them all apart and remember. Uh, and I think that that's maybe a criticism that I would lob at the whole movie. Yeah. Is that, like, it is very rare that you're made to care about any characters in this. Um, yes. And I, I, I think that, that that stands across almost all the segments. All right. Uh, do you have more to say about this, this segment? No, other than just like, I think whatever the scary, possibly supernatural stuff that's supposed to be happening at this house, like the, the way it, it's getting set up here with this corpse of this old guy. And, and it just like, it's not enough. It's yeah. not enough setup. Um, it's not even. It's never clear what it is that the, there's the threat in the house. Yeah. Where the rest of the segments are all pretty clear about like what the, mm-hmm. the threat is. This one yeah. is just like sort of ominous in this house, and it's like not very scary. The dead guy looks too much like just a sleeping person. Mm-hmm. I forgot. And yeah. It was like, does he wake up at some point? Like he doesn't. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, all right. So then there's amateur night. David mm-hmm. Bruckner's uh, contri- contribution. Shane, Patrick, and Clint are three friends who have rented a motel room to fulfill Shane's intent of bringing women back for sex. Clint is wearing glasses that have been outfitted with a hidden camera and microphone that will allow them to turn their planned encounter into an amateur porn video. While the three men are bar hopping, Clint encounters Lily, a mysterious young woman who appears unusually shy and says little other than, I like you. In addition to picking up Lily, the men also succeed in convincing another young woman, Lisa, to return to their motel room. Lisa passes out as Shane attempts to initiate sex, while Patrick discourages him from continuing. Lily continues awkwardly coming on to Clint, but it is Shane who comes on to her instead. Clint notices that Lily's feet are clawed and have scales as he undresses her, but Shane and Patrick are oblivious. Lily appears responsive, pushing Shane onto his back and then beginning to undress Clint, seemingly beginning beginning a threesome. Overwhelmed, Clint goes to the bathroom. Patrick disrobes and attempts to take Clint's place, but Lily has made it clear that she dislikes Patrick. Moments later, Patrick bursts into the bathroom with a large cut on his hand, claiming that Lily bit him. When they approach Shane, Lily suddenly sprouts fangs, then attacks and kills Shane. Clint and Patrick hide in the bathroom until Patrick, still nude, arms himself with a shower curtain rod and returns to the room. 
Clint tries to wake Lisa as Patrick attempts to fight Lily, but she easily subdues and then pounces on him, drinking his blood and ripping off his genitals. Clint escapes the room, but ends up falling down a stairwell, breaking his wrist in the process. Lily catches up to Clint, her face hideously contorted, but instead of attacking, she attempts to perform fellatio. Uh, as Clint is unresponsive, Lily believes he has rejected her. She starts to cry, then begins growling angrily. Clint flees, begging bystanders for help, but he is suddenly lifted into the sky by Lily, who is transformed into a winged creature. It is revealed that Lily was actually a succubus on the hunt for a mate. The glasses fall off Clint's face as Lily carries him away, hitting the ground before the footage ends. <clears throat> okay. Okay. That this, this is one that we've cited in our... Uh, mm. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no. In our... I was uh, say something stupid oh. so you finish. No, go ahead. Please say something stupid. I, I had to control my laughter because... You know, when you're looking at a Wikipedia article, every now and then something will be blue and hyperlinked out to another article on Wikipedia. Uh -huh. And one of the things <laughs> that is that is underlined and links out to another page is the phrase ripping off his genitals. Oh, really? Which takes you to the emasculation. <laughs> and there's a really great picture. It's like an old 15th century drawing. Of a small man holding a large man's penis in his hand, and there's blood oh, yeah. everywhere. <laughs> and the large man's holding a baby. Oh, yeah. It's very weird. Is he biting the baby? I don't know. Um, did you click on fellatio? Uh, no, but I looked at the a animation for the, the illustration for that, too. Yeah, that's a really funny one. It's part of like a great series. I don't know if people know this. Yeah. Of like illustrations of sex acts for Wikipedia. Yeah. So it's like... Go to the Wikipedia article for any, like, established sex act, and there will be a weird illustration of it. They're really, really funny. Um, so this is one that we put on our... Uh, our... This one for teabagging. Oh, yeah. I looked at that. I just looked at that one. <laughs> <laughs> the facial one's really funny, too. It looks like, um, yeah. it looks like Chris Jenner. Okay, um, great. <laughs> the... Uh... <laughs> we put this one... Uh, Anyways, on our, guys are gross. On our favorite... Uh, um, anthologies segments mm -hmm. when we did mm -hmm. uh creep show yeah so did it hold up this time uh i think for me uh it largely did although i mm -hmm. still i was obviously annoyed with the main characters through most of it but i think what really works with this one is the performance of lily uh I, i'm hannah something i can't remember i'm blanking on her name i'll look it up uh, lily who played the oh you're, you're trying to find the actor yeah 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 uh um, hannah fearman mm -hmm. um she's really good yeah and like disarming in this like she's creepy but like you could see why somebody would be like okay yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> sure yeah and then, and then it just like straight up she gets really scary yes um yes, she does yeah what'd you think yeah i'm I, i'm i'm mostly in the same boat i think you know, with the stuff we were talking about before of just kind of like some of the turnoffs with this movie, it's it's a little interesting because this segment is probably the one that is like the most centered in like obnoxious bros. Yes. Um, however, uh, I think it, it it's also the most overtly sort of pushing back against that. 
Yeah. Um, like it, it's almost like, you know, it's, it's almost like a Tarantino esque revenge fantasy where it's like, these guys are total creeps. You feel like they're really trying to take advantage of these women. And then one of them literally just guts two of them. And it's like, it's like, you're pretty pumped. It's like, cool. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I think you're right. I think the, the lead actress in this is, is very good. Um, and I will say that the guy who plays Clint, the kind of lead asshole, does a very good job of seeming like that kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little annoying, but here's my question. It's like, if the movie had a different, better frame narrative that wasn't all about yeah. these bros, right? Um, would would this Would this even bother me? Would it just be like, well, there's one segment in the movie that's like a lot of that stuff. I think that's plenty, yeah. you know? I and think then, so. But, I think you're you nailed it right there. Like, if that uh, an opening scene wasn't already so abrasive and like rapey, then this mm-hmm. one wouldn't feel as. It, I mean, honestly, that's like a flaw with the planning of the series of this. Yeah, it's like you shouldn't have. I mean, okay. So I I also think that like rape culture and all that is a theme in the entirety of the movie. Mm-hmm. So I think that's something that is clearly like. I don't know if I discussed it, but it becomes a theme. So yeah. it makes sense that each of these segments sort of touch on it. But those are too similar. Like the the first mm-hmm. segment in this one are just too similar. Um, yeah. 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 And it's just, you know, <laughs> this is sort of a, a lesson to all filmmakers that, that we've seen learned many, many times, which is just like, if you're going to tackle something like that, like kind of delicacy is important Mm -hmm. and it's like you have to walk a really fine line if you're going to make a feature film where one of the central themes is like uh misogyny and rape culture because it's it it all goes back to the first thing i said which is just like okay even if your intentions are good how are you going to solve the problem of having to watch two hours of rapey dudes yeah right because nobody wants to do that right um so yeah, but I think I think in terms of this segment taken on its own, it, it's pretty effective. It's also like I would say the best contained narrative. Yeah. Of of any of the segments in this film, it feels like a complete um, story. Yeah. It, it part of the reason it ended up on our list of good segments is because it is it is like it feels really tailor made to be an anthology segment. Uh, with a clean kind of beginning, middle, and end. Um, and I'll also say that I think it's probably some of the least obnoxious and disorienting camera work. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of that is is due to the combination of actual camera glasses, which they do use sometimes, um, but then also like a lot of camera work meant to mimic that, which then by default makes it POV mm-hmm. instead of like this sort of horrible shaky cam, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and also we'd be remiss to, if we didn't mention that this spun off into another movie, the siren, mm-hmm. which we've never seen. So we can't really no, comment they, on it, but it, it's yeah. Yeah. Hannah Fearman did reprise her role in that. I'd be curious to check so. that out. Yeah. Uh, all right. Move. Anything else you want to say about this? No, one? I don't think so. All right. So all tape right. fifty six, interlude number one. 
Back in the frame story, one of the criminals discovers that Brad, who stayed to watch the tape, is missing. Meanwhile, the other criminals search the basement and discover hundreds of unmarked VHS tapes and begin collecting them all to ensure they get the right one. One of them managed to catch a glimpse of a strange figure wandering off and they gather the tapes. When they gather the tapes. Rocks, who is upstairs, replaces the tape in the, VH, uh, in the VCR with a different one and settles down to watch it. So not much happens in that one. Yeah. If I can just wait, wager another wage another complaint. Um having the frame narrative be found footage and then also all the VHS tapes be found footage. Like even it's just I could use a cleaner delineation between the segments and the frame. Yeah. Um even if it's just like, hey, why don't you use a different camera that looks really different i was also frustrated by the in-story plot point of like the one guy not believing that the other guy saw somebody yeah it's like there's a dead man upstairs Mm -hmm. if if you and i were in a creepy basement and you saw somebody i would take you seriously yeah i would take the situation seriously um (laughs) all right second honeymoon directed by ty west Sam and Stephanie are a married couple traveling to Arizona for their honeymoon, with Stephanie recording and documenting everything along the way. That night, they visit a Wild West-themed attraction known as Wild West Junction, where Stephanie receives a prediction from a mechanical fortune teller dressed as a prospector. The prediction claims that she will soon be happily reunited with a loved one, and that she is also very trusting and easily taken advantage of. Some time later, a strange woman comes to Sam and Stephanie's motel room and awkwardly tries to convince Sam, off camera, to give her a ride somewhere the next day. In the middle of the night, while the couple are asleep, a mysterious figure breaks into the room, turns on the the camcorder, and films itself stroking Stephanie's buttocks with a switchblade. The uh, intruder also steals $100 from Sam's wallet and dips his toothbrush in the toilet. The next day, on their way to visit the Grand Canyon, Sam notices the missing money and accuses Stephanie of taking it, but she assures him that she did not. That night, the stranger enters the room again and repeatedly stabs Sam in the neck with the switchblade, filming him as he chokes to death on his own blood. The camera... Warning, warning to listeners at home. If for some reason you've never seen this and you were planning on watching this movie, this is a spoiler now, uh, which... I only call out because knowing what was going to happen significantly changed my viewing experience this time. Oh, yeah. Uh, So if you were going to watch VHS and you're on the fence and you're like, yeah, I'm going to watch it. Now would be a good time to pause and watch it and then come back to the podcast. The camera then shows the killer, the woman from earlier wearing a porcelain mask, cleaning the blade while she and Stephanie make out passionately, revealing that the woman was Stephanie's lover. The recording cuts to Stephanie and her lover driving away, with Stephanie asking her lover if she has erased the footage. Oh, that reminded me. In the first, in the first mm. uh, segment, too, they're, <laughs> to make it even worse, they're taping over a sex tape that one of the guys tried to make, and the, girl, yeah. the woman catches him. And yeah. it's like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> it's like, Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Really? That's yeah, all so gross. Uh, so what did you think of this one? Um, This one... I would say worked all right for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't hate this one. This is my note was this is sort of the most mumblecore feeling. Yes, of all the is. segments, it really is. Um, for good and for for bad, I think 
you know, what I'll say is like, uh, this is the closest you get to really knowing or caring about any characters, I think, in the whole movie. Yeah. Um, and partly because there's just two characters. and But I think, you know, it doesn't feel like a coincidence to me that this is directed by Ty West, who is, at least within the horror genre, has kind of proven himself to be the most capable of everyone mm-hmm. involved in this. Um because even though it's improvisy and even though it's found footagey, it feels like there was some effort made to develop a relationship between this man and and woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I felt like I could kind of read, like not everything had to be said out loud. Like you could read a good deal into the nature of their relationship. Yeah, between the lines of dialogue. Um, other than that, it's like a really small idea. Yeah. Um which isn't necessarily a bad thing. And I, I remember the first time I watched it and the kind of the twist that not only is it a woman, but it's like the wife's lover is, you know, it gets you as a twist the first time through and it goes, Oh, I was watching this a different way up until this point. So totally. I credit, credit for that too. Although, you know, something people say about a lot of M night Shyamalan movies. Sometimes it's like, well, once you know, going back and watching it again, doesn't, it doesn't reward that. It's kind of like, well, the first time was the best this was going to be. Yeah. Um, I didn't remember the twist cause I had seen it so long ago. Uh, but yeah, I think this one's a nice palate cleanser compared to mm-hmm. the, after the last, you know, two segments, three segments. Yeah. Uh, two. Um, and it does feel like you're in more capable hands in a lot of ways with like Ty West directing and Joe Swanberg is one of, you know, and Sophia to call mm-hmm. like, they feel like they're capable actors. Like Joe Swanberg's a good actor. So I think Sophia yeah. does a good job in this. Uh, so it, it's a little bit like, okay, I can re- put my hackles down a little bit. <laughs> uh, but there is also like, you know, it's, I don't mean to sound like a fucking broken record. There's the scene where he's convincing her to like, you know, do sex acts on camera, which again, in and of its, I understand why it's there. It's establishing. He's not a great husband. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when he dies, you're like, oh, okay, that's why one of the reasons why she probably hates him. Um, but like after three segments, this is the third segment of that. It's just like, God damn mm-hmm. another one. Anyway, I mean, that's yeah. like, again, it's a, at this point that criticism is getting boring. I'm sure, but that's just, well, let me, Enter into the record then a sort of uh, a yin to the yang of your criticism, if I can. And I can't take credit for this. Um, so over on Letterboxd, uh, a website that I use a lot and I'm a fan of, a uh, longtime friend of the pod, Jackie Stewart, wrote a review of this. Oh, cool. And they had a, a good point, which I think plays in addition to the grossness of the men. The other thing that Jackie pointed out, they say, uh, I'll say it was a bit odd that four of the five segments also seem to deal with the treachery of women, mm. more or less. Mm-hmm. And I'm shocked that I haven't more heard more people calling it out as such. Interesting. Serious. Yeah. Seriously, almost all the stories end badly because some guys trust a woman they shouldn't have. Mm. And that's generally fine. But when it happens this many times, it starts to feel played out and kind of weird. Yeah. So that was That was something they brought up. That's a great point, Jackie. Uh, also, 
You haven't called into the show in a while. We miss you. Yeah, what the fuck? <laughs> Did you stop listening? <laughs> I hope not. Um, great point. Great point. Uh, and again, it's like, are these these guys telling on his, on themselves a little bit? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Great. It's a good question. It's a valid question. Yeah. All right. Tuesday the 17th. That's the next one. And I was looking at my notes, and here it is. Directed by Glenn McQuaid. A group of 20-somethings, Joey, Spider. <laughs> oh, wait, did we miss the interlude? Oh, I'm sorry. Back in the frame story, Rox is left confused by what he has witnessed. Unknown to him, however, the old man's corpse has disappeared. Back in the basement, the other criminals debate on why the tape they are after is so special and also plan to make copies of it so they can make extra money. The film then transitions to the next tape. Yeah, not much not much to comment on that one. No, not really. Um, so Tuesday the 17th. A group of 20-somethings, Joey, Spider, and Samantha, accompany their new friend, Wendy, on her annual trip to a lake located in a nearby forest. Joey films the group as Wendy leads them through the woods, occasionally mentioning accidents that took the lives of her friends. When the camera scans entire area, certain areas, glitched images of mutilated bodies appear on the film. They also discover the mutilated corpse of a pig nearby, shortly before Wendy mentions that everyone is going to die. Relaxing and smoking weed by the lake, Wendy tells the others that the lake is the same place where a murderer killed many people years earlier, but the group laughs it off as a joke. Spider and Samantha leave the group for a bathroom break. Uh, suddenly, Samantha is killed when a knife is launched into her face. Spider attempts to run, but is stabbed in the head repeatedly by the culprit, a strange figure with a featureless red hood obscuring, uh, obscured in tracking errors known as the glitch, identified as such in the end credits. Back in the lake, Joey asks Wendy where Spider and Samantha went, to which she answers that they left, then awkwardly asks if he wants to have sex. Joey guesses that Wendy was serious about the story she was telling them about the murders, uh, that when yeah, Joey guesses that Wendy was serious about the story she had been telling them about the murders, mentoring, mentioning that he remembers hearing about it himself. Dropping the facade, Wendy reveals that she had been to the lake before, where the murderer slaughtered <laughs> all of her friends. What's that? Uh, just this this part of the synopsis is very confusing. Yeah where the murderer slaughtered all of her friends, leaving her as the only survivor. She notes that the police did not believe her when she said that the killer could be in two places at once. Wendy then tells Joey that she lured all three of them to the woods to use as bait so she can find and kill the glitch. As the two walk, talk, not walk, they walk and talk. It's a Sorkin movie. They do, they do do both. Yep. <laughs> the glitch walks up behind Joey and slits his throat. Wendy runs away, luring the glitch into a pit trap, then into a bear trap, which traps it momentarily. She tries filming the glitch up close, but it continues to be obscured by the tracking errors and slashes her hand. Wendy continues to run through the woods, warning anyone who finds the tape never to come to the area. She finds Joey in her death throes and watches as he dies. Uh, as his, in his death throes, I'm sorry. The glitch approaches Wendy before a bed of spikes impales it. Wendy gloats at the glitch and walks away. But when she turns around, it is gone. It reappears in a tree and pounces on Wendy, beating her to death with the camera, then slashes her stomach, subsequently eviscerating her. 
Wendy's corpse is last seen twitching and shuddering violently as the ca- the camera glitches out, revealing that she is becoming a glitch herself. <laughs> oh, man. Were you prepared for that? Oh, we should have gave the warning for this one. <laughs> okay. Uh, what did you think of Tuesday the 17th? Um, This is one that I remembered liking a lot, and then watching it this time, I was less impressed. Yeah. Um, what about you? Yeah, I didn't like it. I think it's, I think it has a really, it's a really great setup. It's a really, mm-hmm. it's a really great concept, but the acting is abysmal. Yeah. It's some of the yeah, worst in the movie. Definitely. Um, yeah. Cause half the time it's like, you can't tell if they're like, like that exchange when she asks him if he wants to have sex, it's like both of them. You're like, is Who's doing? They're doing a bit, right? This is a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it like turns out that neither one of them is joking, and you're just like, oh, so they're just both delivering terrible, terrible dialogue. Really weird line reads. Um, yeah, the lake ran red with their blood. Um, that was my biggest criticism with this one because I do think I mean it's like a classic horror movie setup. A bunch of teens, a bunch of horny teens mm-hmm. going to. The lake, you know what I mean? And getting picked off one by one. Yeah. Also, I mean, you know, we've been railing against the misogyny in this one. But some of the some of the more most attractive women in the movie, too. Which I was like, oh, <laughs> hell yeah. <laughs> like, There's no nudity in this one. <laughs> uh, they put the nudity in the wrong one. It's guys. always like weird. It's like nudity that makes you feel bad. Yeah. Um. And so, yeah, so like there's like I said, there's some cool ideas, but really, really bad. Yeah, acting. I, I, I agree with you. And I think that this, along with one other mo- segment of this uh, of VHS, like they feel more like proof of concept. Yeah. For a director. But they're like trying to show they're trying to add something to like a VFX reel. Yes. Yes. Um, Right, and I think and this, this is the guy, director you said is mostly a yeah. VFX guy, right? Yeah. yeah, and it's like, it feels to me like you can feel how this came together. He came up with this this idea of the glitch, and then it was like, okay, so if I make this like a like the antagonist in a Friday the Thirteenth esque stalking young attractive people through the woods and around a lake, perfect. I've got a movie. Well, the only thing is you still have to write dialogue for yeah. the movie and then you still have to cast actors for the movie. And it feels like that stuff was all such an afterthought. And it was like, okay, how are we going to make the glitch work? What's going to happen with the glitch? First he does this and that. And how are we going to you know, animate this and wrote other and, and it looks good. Mm-hmm. It does look good. It's well done. But yes, the rest of it is like, well, this is, if it didn't have the glitch, this would just be really bad. Um, so yeah, I think I think you're a hundred percent right. Um Oh shit, sorry. I, I was I looked at something and then I lost what I was gonna say, which is a great thing to do on a podcast. It's good too that you told us all about it. I know, I know. It's you always feel the need to do that instead of just moving <laughs> on. <laughs> I I do it too. Uh the Moving on. Moving on. <laughs> hmm. Damn it. Oh well. That'll drive me we crazy. can come back to it. Yeah, I'm sure that'll be fun to come back to. Oh, the become the ending is dumb too. Becoming a glitch oh, the becoming the glitch too. Yeah, that is really stupid. Um, yeah. Okay, so then we have tape fifty six interlude three. 
Back in the frame story, the old man's body has returned to the room, but Rox is nowhere to be seen. The remaining criminals, Zack and Gary, are confused as to where the others have gone, with Gary telling Zack to look through the tapes. Zack replaces the current tape with a new one and sits down to watch. These guys are all... That's that's what I remember being driven crazy by the first time I watched this. I don't know why I forgot it this time. They're robbing a house, but they just all keep taking turns to sit and watch a tape. Yeah. Like, let's sit down and watch this tape. It's got to be good. It's going to yeah. be a good tape. The Sick Thing That Happened to Emily When She Was Younger, directed by Joe Swanberg. Told entirely through a series of computer video chats, Emily tells her boyfriend, James, an aspiring doctor, about a strange bump on her arm and how it reminds her of an accident she had when she was younger. After showing James around her apartment, Emily hears noises outside her door. After investigating the room, Emily witnesses a small, ghostly, childlike entity rush into her room and slam the door shut, leading her to believe that her apartment is haunted. Hearing the noises again the next night, Emily attempts to investigate some more, only to discover the entity again, and she turns on the light. She questions her landlord about the disturbances, but the landlord claims that no children have ever lived in the apartment complex, nor have any people ever died there, but Emily is unconvinced. During her next video chat with James, Emily nonchalantly digs into her bump on her arm with a scalpel and a meat fork to find out what exactly the bump is, but James, James urges her to stop before the wound becomes infected, promising to check on it when he arrives in a week. The next night, Emily attempts to contact the strange child. She closes her eyes and carries her laptop to have James look out for the being. The ghost child the ghostly child appears again along with a similarly ghostly young girl. The children manage to knock her unconscious as James quickly appears in her apartment. The children are revealed to be, uh, are revealed not to be ghosts, but rather aliens watching as James surgically removes an alien fetus from Emily's torso, revealing that they are using Emily as an incubator for alien human hybrids. James, who has been working with the aliens and removing the fetuses for some time, questions the aliens uh, about how much longer they plan to do this to Emily as he worries that she may not survive much more of it, mentioning to them that the arm bump is a tracking device. The aliens erase Emily's memory while James breaks some of her bones to make it look like an accident again. In their next chat, a badly injured Emily believes that she sustained her injuries after wandering into traffic in a fugue state. She reveals that the doctor James recommended has diagnosed her with schizo with, as schizoaffective, and tearfully says that James deserves a better, more normal, normal, more normal. He deserves <laughs> normal from Garfield, more normal girlfriend. We don't deserve normal. <laughs> it's like it's like a really hard hitting documentary on Showtime. Um, James assures Emily that she is the only person he wants to be with. But once their chat ends, he begins a new chat with a different woman. This woman has the same bump on her arm and also believes that James is her boyfriend, revealing that the aliens are using multiple people as incubators. And also, she picks almost the exact same opportunity to take her time take her, yeah that's not covered in the synopsis <laughs> on the but video chat. emily and this new girl both are like all right well here's my tits <laughs> yeah <laughs> really really out of nowhere yeah really Just out of nowhere truly unprompted yeah. yeah 
Just Swanberg. And, uh, yeah, and it almost Swan- seems like the second girl was cast specifically for that. <laughs> um, yeah, two reasons why. <laughs> yeah, what did you think of this one? I'll say, um, I'll say, I mean, you're about to take a sip. Sorry, I, I can say what I think. Yeah. Which is, I think, also the actor playing the boyfriend is god-awful. He sucks. He sucks so bad. And like the second one's kind of otherwise like whatever. Emily is good. I think oh, she's yeah, fine. Yeah, she is. She's good. Mm-hmm. Um, she's like yeah, super cute. She's good. Like and this one would work better if that guy just didn't suck so fucking bad. Yeah, it's like what is he like the Steven Spielberg of this group? Like, because <laughs> yeah. why the fuck did he get cast in this? I don't I get do it. Not know. And yeah. it's, it's like you really lose so much tension in the movie when she's like showing him around the house and he's like, Oh babe, what is it? Oh no, no, you got to get out of there. No. Okay. It's nothing. Don't worry, babe. I'll be right there. Like, he's just like, he's so bad. He's so bad. He is a director. His name is Daniel Kaufman. Recently directed, not recently, six years ago. Can't stop. Won't stop a bad boy story. The about bad boy records and puff daddy. Okay. So he's like a documentarian. Maybe I'll find out some more stuff about him. All right. Um, that was my main note on this one. Um, this is also another one where I feel like, um, like the story is gets so little attention. Yeah. Like, like, or I shouldn't say the story, like the story is fine, but it's like the workings of it. Like, like, like it never makes sense. It, if, right. If, however much sense that synopsis made to you, that's how much sense it's going to make if you watch this. Yeah. It's like they're it might really... actually make less sense when you watch it. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Um, but it. Yeah. That it, it is something where, where I think like it's like okay, wait, what? So they're aliens, and but they just like they put embryos in her back yeah it takes it out of the back yeah and then why are these little kids running around like it's like okay if they're part of this whole thing if they're like alien children it's like well why are they running around in her fucking apartment (laughs) (laughs) it's like if he knows what they are and he's working with the aliens it's like yeah they stay somewhere else to avoid situations like this yeah uh and there's no attempt to like explain anything like that um and i will say Oh, man. Okay. So I, I I really don't love found footage. Even though, you know, the shaky camera work and stuff drives me pretty nuts. The Maybe my worst, my least favorite kind of found footage is like webcam stuff. Oh, really? Didn't yeah. you really like Unfriended? Yeah, it was good. It I was never well saw done. that one, but I also like the host that like that, that Zoom horror movie. I haven't seen that. It's pretty good. Yeah, it's but it's just like I get you though. It it gets old really. It, it fast. is like how you know found footage in and of itself is pretty limiting, but like mm-hmm. webcam is even more limiting. Yeah, Paranormal Activity has been doing this for like five years at this point, you know. Yeah, and 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 even though that's not like it's what that's nanny cam as opposed to webcam, but yeah. it's like it's the same shit. It's just like all right, and then you switch to the 
you switch to the night vision and it's just yeah i think this coming after this coming out the same month as the fourth paranormal activity movie is like a little bit lazy feeling i can't remember if that was a good one or not if i even saw that one um i don't think i saw it all right so tape 56 we get the epilogue back in the frame story both zach and the old man's corpse are gone gary now the only one left searches the rooms upstairs he finds the decapitated remains of Zack and is subsequently attacked by the old man, who's become a zombie. Gary attempts to flee downstairs, but he falls and twists his ankle and is killed by the zombie. The frame story ends with the camera left in the TV room, picking up the sound of the VCR starting the last tape by itself. Ugh. I mean, yeah. is this even an ending? Like, No, it doesn't. it doesn't feel like a... It doesn't pay anything off. No. It doesn't really explain anything. It's It really does just feel like... This is like haunted house level storytelling. Yeah. Where it's it's like, like you literally going to a haunted house and it's like however much narrative you get from people coming into rooms and like scaring you, that's what fucking Adam Wingard of all people was able to muster. Yeah. It's weird uh, because he's a talented director. He's made good yeah. things. Yeah. Yeah. He really has. Um, but yeah, this is just, I mean, it's such a non-starter, but it's like, yeah. it also like it concludes with, okay, there's a zombie. Did the zombie cut the guy's head off? It doesn't seem like it. Is there a ghost too? Is that who's putting the tape in the VCR? Is the VCR evil? It's really unclear. It's so unclear yeah. in a really frustrating way. Mm-hmm. All right. So finally, we have 103198, directed by Radio Silence. On Halloween night, 1998, Tyler, dressed as a teddy bear, is implanted. Oh, sorry. <laughs> He's not implanted. <laughs> dressed as a teddy bear implanted with a nanny cam, meets his friends, Chad, Matt, and Paul, dressed as a Unabomber, a pirate, and a Marine, respectively. As they head out to a Halloween party at a friend's house, only to end up in the wrong place. Thinking that they are the first ones to arrive, the quartet sneak inside. They begin to experience paranormal phenomena, but believe that they are at a realistic haunted house attraction and have fun with it. It's it's important to have fun with it. Yeah. In the attic, they find several men gathered around a young woman who have been, who, who have suspended, who they have suspended from the rafters, apparently performing an exorcism. The men chant cast you down towards the woman and the boys exuberantly join in. This alerts the men in the, uh, to their presence and they react angrily to them before physically assaulting the young woman, causing some of the men to be pulled upwards into the darkness by an unseen force. More violent, threatening paranormal ph- phenomena occurs as the boys initially flee, but then decide that they, are, that they should go back and try to rescue the girl. Returning to the attic, the boys untie her and get her to safety. When the girl is freed, the house comes to life with poltergeist phenomena, with ghostly arms rising from the walls and floors to claim the lives of the women's captors. Exiting through the basement, the boils, the boils, (laughs) the boys pile into their car with the girl and drive away. The car abruptly stops and the girl disappears, reappearing in the street before them and walking away amid a flock of birds. The boys then realize that the car is stopped on train tracks and that the girl they rescued is actually a witch. 
The boys attempt to get out of the car as the train approaches, but they are unable to start the car or unlock the doors. The train smashes into the car off-camera, killing all inside. During the end credits, clips from tapes 56 are shown. That's it. Did I miss miss something that clearly explained that she's a witch? No. I didn't. I mean, it just... I assume, I just assumed she was possessed. I assumed she was possessed also. The witch part didn't really... I mean, I, yeah, I don't know where they got witch from. It okay, seemed that's, like a, that's a demon possession or devil possession yeah. or something like that. Freestyling. Yeah. Um, okay. I'll say for me, this one worked for me. I liked it. Um, it does... It's something that... I mean, I actually didn't think this until you said it earlier. Mm-hmm. It does sort of reek of like director reel material. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, like, let's show what yeah. we can do. Um, yeah yeah but as yeah this is the other segment i was referring to yeah Yeah. uh but yeah as a whole i think this one is like it it works pretty well and it's also like the least annoying in some ways it is uh it moves quickly i feel like it covers the most ground yeah in the least amount of time i mean it has to be shorter than some of the other segments so it's kind of weird that Wikipedia doesn't list the lengths of the segments. No. Oh, um, I will say, too, I agree with the length of this movie being too long. Mm-hmm. That criticism. Yeah. yeah. And it's not that I would necessarily cut a whole sequence out. I would just, like, tell everybody to tighten it up. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I I mostly enjoyed watching this. And just because it's entertaining, right? It's like, you get how the radio silence guys ended up in Hollywood because mm-hmm. it's like the whole thing is it, something I want to stop and take a moment to acknowledge for the people at home who maybe think that Eric and I just really hate all visual effects. And uh, we complain about them constantly. It's like by and large, this entire movie does a pretty good job of incorporating VFX. Yeah. Um, and this one in particular is super solid and and there's there's like one or two shots where it's you know cgi of the era like full cgi stuff and it doesn't look great yeah like floating plates or something like that exactly that shot yeah but outside of that like you can tell that they're what with whatever budget they have for this stuff they're 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 pulling off some pretty impressive stuff and it's like the the concept is fun enough you know it's similar to tuesday the 17th it's just kind of like well let's just get these guys in a house with a bunch of poltergeist stuff going on uh and it succeeds in doing that and it manages to be less annoying than tuesday the 17th while doing it um but yeah as a story it's like nothing you know um but i mean how many of these in now that we've reached the end of this list, it's like, well, how many of these actually have a story that really is about something, you know? Right. That where like, the story is like pretty well communicated to the audience. It's, it's uh, you know, less, I, I feel like they're batting under 500. All right. <clears throat> That's the end of that. Let's, uh, let's talk about, for, we'll be doing something a little different with this series uh let's rank our favorite segments from worst to best okay want to do that yeah let's do it and let's why don't we just call the framing narrative one second yes that's a i was planning uh, yeah so that i can put it on the bottom of my list oh uh, 
Yes, worst of the six offerings here is Tape 56, the frame narrative. I agree with that. Um, yep, yeah, that's my number six as well. Um, okay. For my number five, although I may have talked myself out of this, but whatever, I'll stick with it for now. Tuesday the 17th, um, because mm-hmm. the, I think the act, you know, I see why I put it there. The acting across the board is pretty bad. Um, and it's like really a missed, pro- it's like a, a missed chance, a missed opportunity. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Oof, it's tough. That's one of the two that I like for this spot. Um, yeah, I'll go, I'll go with you. I think we don't have um, to be in, in agreeance. Well, no, it's more like, I don't know how to, how to pick one. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and I'm going to use you to push me over the edge, um, which is also how I plan on dying. Um, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, it's just there's the acting is so bad. And they're so annoying that it makes the process of watching this segment unpleasant. Yep. And so if my takeaway is like watching that segment was unpleasant, then it should be pretty low on the list. So number five sounds good. What you got for number four? Uh, number four, I think my back and forth was between... Uh, Tuesday the 17th, and for me, the sixth thing that happened to Emily when she was younger. So that's going to be my number four. There's also a little bit of wiggle room for this to... This could have dropped as low as five for me and could have gone as high as three, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, the middle here is a little tricky, but I think for me, things that we mentioned, uh, again, maybe not a coincidence that these two movies, that these two segments that dropped way down have noticeable bad acting yeah um so i think james is the as the kind of male uh co-lead in this is just like it's such a dead fish it sucks and and i do want to state again that emily is actually pretty good yes um and um then on top of that just the stuff that i mentioned where it's it's like it seems like such a half-assed effort to tell a story um it's 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 so it's 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 more like vibes than it is like an actual story and it's like this thing's fucking 10 minutes long you could tell a 10 minute long story like yeah yeah half, so that's that's where i land it's a half-assed um effort to tell a story but it's a it's a, a full-on effort to show some titties um that's true <laughs> that's two. also my number four and the reason why i was going i had a little internal debate and then i eventually put it where it is is because emily is good and but James mm-hmm. is bad, so but yeah. I agree with everything you just said though. Um, right. My number three is a second honeymoon, the Ty West segment. Um, I found it to be kind of like visually the least annoying. Um, mm-hmm. Well, I mean that's not necessary. I mean you know I have I have a favorite segment in this one, but I you know I'll say some of it is sort of a little annoying. Uh, mm-hmm. It feels more adult than the others, yeah. in kind of a nice refreshing way. And mm-hmm. I think the two main performances are, are pretty good. Yeah. Um, yeah. For all those reasons, it is not my number three. <laughs> uh, my number three is 1031.98, um, which I think correctly lands just on the right side of uh, the middle. I think it's a little better than neutral. Um, just because it's not, I mean, it, it's fun. It's an entertaining little jaunt. Um, it 
I don't yeah it just it just has so little in terms of character development mm-hmm. uh, and plot of any kind that it's like I feel like it gets it, it it falls below second honeymoon for those reasons because second honeymoon i think is the richest of all of these segments with regards to that stuff um so i view that as more of a plus i think um awesome so what's your number two so my number two is second honeymoon oh yeah so um no shit yeah. because the acting is good there's character development happening uh, like you said, it's a little bit of a nice reprieve from the craziness of everything that we've seen up to this point. Um, yeah. It, and, and the thing is, you know, it's not great, uh, but I think as a piece of an anthology, it's like pulling its weight. Um, sure. Because it offers something a little different and it does it in a way that feels well, you know, well crafted. Well, my number two is ten thirty one ninety eight, um, and it's I think it's just a fun, snappy little piece. I mean, it's like like mm. you said, not a lot of character development, but it's over and done with pretty quickly, and mm-hmm. it's just kind of a fun ride. Um, yeah, yeah, that's the most I can say of that. So then that means we both have the same number one, probably as mm-hmm. a surprise to no one. Amateur night. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really good. <laughs> yeah, it's it's super memorable. If you've seen this movie, mm-hmm. I have to imagine you remember this segment. Um, and yeah, the lead character, solid actor. There's some good VFX in this one. Uh, and it's just, it's a good concept. Yes. You know, it's a good concept that is executed well. And uh, so it's a success. All right, let's talk deaths. We get the um, one of the frat boys who gets his. Uh, Whoa, uh, I guess his dick and neck bitten. No, no, no. What the hell? I wrote this weird. Uh, no, he just gets his neck bitten and like kind of gouged and shit yeah. on the bed. And then the other one. The other guy gets, gets his, his neck bitten and gets his dick off. ripped off. Um, you it, don't really see, right? You do. It splats do on the ground, yeah. Oh, I had to I rewind it because I was taking a note. Yeah, it's, yeah you, you, you see some dick talking. and balls really slap on that ground. <laughs> um. And then the guy gets carried off, but we don't see him die. But then we get Joe Swanberg gets his neck stabbed. Samantha gets a knife thrown through the back of the head and comes out of her eye. The dude recording that gets stabbed in the head. And then Joey gets his throat slashed. And then Wendy gets eviscerated by a real glitchy boy. Zach gets his head chopped off. Um, the dude filming that gets killed by the reanimated zombie. And then there's a couple guys that get sucked into the ceiling in the last segment, and then the guys all die in a train accident. Mike, what is your favorite death? Oh, was I supposed to decide before we started recording? I can say mine. <laughs> yeah. Eric, what was your favorite death? I mean, it's that dick slapping on the ground. <laughs> the guy getting like his junk uh, ripped off. It's fucking gross. <laughs> I can't, I can't find a clip of it, which is really disappointing. Um. So that is too bad. Uh, so I'll go with um, the ones that stuck out to me as like good effects moments. One of the biggest ones was actually in the sixth thing that happened to Emily when he cuts open her back and pulls the fetus out. But she doesn't die. Yeah. So I can't use that one. So the other one, um, 
that I'm going to go with is, is this boring? It feels boring. I kind of want to say second honeymoon. Um, yeah, no, go for it. It's a cool. There's death. a lot of blood. Um, like a lot of blood. It feels very visceral. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it kind of, it has like the way they film that one with like the night vision. It's got almost like these sort of manhunter vibes. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, I think I'll say that. Yeah. There's a lot of fun deaths in Tuesday the 17th, but I do think that they're all a little weightless in terms of. Yeah. And it kind of happens so fast works. too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, zombie thumbs up or down. Yeah, that's right. Is this movie <laughs> gory? Left or right? <laughs> Is this movie gory? Yeah, I think so. Uh huh. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, there's a handful of, of pretty gross moments in this. Ghost thumbs up or down, Mike? Is this movie scary? Mm, I. Can I can I make a can I, can I make a proposal for this season? For sure. Twenty four. I want to abandon the sort of is this movie scary or not? Like the the way that I had been approaching it, which is like, well, if you showed it to a child, they'd be very scary. yeah yeah yeah, and just be like, is the movie trying to be scary? Is it succeed in being scary? Sure. Because I think that this movie is trying to be scary, and I don't think it succeeds most of the time. I agree with you. Um, yeah, that's good. So I would kind of go a little bit on the thumbs, the light thumbs down side. Because um, the thing is, you know, I think that the, the segment that wants to be the most terrifying is tape 56, and it's it sucks. Yeah. <laughs> it's not scary. Um, yeah. Um, but you know, there are, there are good shocking moments and there's some decent dark stuff, especially in the sick thing that happened to Emily and amateur night. Um, but overall, I think I walked away with a like, no, this isn't a particularly scary horror movie vibes. I can take that ride with you. Finally. Um, so we here at kill streak, we give a merry fuck kill rating system to our movies. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we usually base that off of the series that we previously covered. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this case, we just covered Jack Frost. So, yeah. Mike, why don't you unveil our new rating system? Okay, great. Eric and I, we worked together on this one. Tirelessly. We long, and, long and hard. Um, okay, in honor of Jack Frost, our new Mary <laughs> Fuck Kill, going in reverse order. So, kill, fuck, Mary. Um... <laughs> So, <laughs> kill is snow job. Is that right, Eric? Yep, that's right. Do you want to explain it? Do you want to say anything about snow job to the folks at home? Well, snow job means that you got scammed, but uh, yeah. in this case, I don't know. You got scammed out of your life? Yeah, you got scammed out of your life. <laughs> okay, yeah. But it's definitely negative. You're doing a negative thing Yeah. yeah to, yeah. to a person if you're and snow And maybe them. it's just to get to the next one, which is... Blowjob. That's right. <laughs> I don't know who saw that coming. Yep. But um yeah, so that's the sex. In this case, we're talking about oral sex. Yep. Um, and then finally <laughs> Finally for Mary. This one is fucking crazy. It's so crazy. We've got new Saab, and that's S A A B, like the, the like car. the car. 
Um, because you know how you watch those commercials around the holidays and, and, and husbands and wives are always getting them e- each other cards for Christmas. Um, so I feel like, you know, if you really, if you're married and you're in love, you buy, you buy your wife a new sob. They, they don't make those anymore, but for the purposes of the thought experiment, let's say that they do <laughs> go with me on this one. So we've got new sob, blow job and snow job. Uh, as our three options. So, Eric, where did VHS fall for you Man. on this very precise ranking scale? I'll be honest with you. I came into this really prepared to give this one a snow job. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because uh, I found a large part of my viewing experience to be kind of unpleasant. Mm-hmm. And disappointing because I I do like later entries in this series, but um you know the, but then talking through them made me kind of warm mm-hmm. up a little bit, and I don't know if that's like a fool's errand or if, like maybe I just did the same thing when I first watched the movie too. Sure, you know what I mean. Yeah. Um So I'm going to get a little more generous, and I'm gonna. <laughs> i'm gonna give you this one a really half-hearted blowjob okay jesus That's... christ <laughs> well we here at killstreak we're all about uh taking down misogyny in all its forms yeah. um and gross male sexuality um so i respect that eric um yeah i think uh it's an up and down film like all anthologies tend to be um and is it a little more bad than good probably but i think it's close enough that you know having it land in the middle makes makes a good deal of sense to me i think i think you've got one legitimately good segment and then two segments that left me with a positive feeling and then two segments that were kind of meh and then one that i really disliked Mm -hmm. um and so all of that, you know, if you put it, put it all together, I think to say that it's a failure would, would be unfair. Um, I have a feeling this won't be my favorite of the series, but it's hard to say. Uh, I've only seen two of them. I, I don't know what's down the road. But yeah, so, so you know, if this is maybe like on a, you know, maybe it's like a C minus, right? Yeah. Flirting with a D plus, but it stays in the C's. Um yeah, so as a result, I'm going to give this a pretty toothy blowjob. Yeah, unless they like it, in which case, um, oh yeah, it's gonna then be it's silky all... smooth. <laughs> then it's you take the dentures out. Uh. <laughs> all right, let's take a quick break and we'll get to our third segment. Okay, we're back. I have a brand new segment that I am going to introduce to everyone right now. And the good news is that this one is repeatable. <laughs> hey, we finally did it. <laughs> we finally did it. It took me, uh, you know, about three years. Um, also, my dog in here. So if you hear any like clock clicking, that's what it is. 
Um, it's called Tag You're It. And what we're going to do, I'm going to pick a year of horror movies. And then I'm going to ask Mike um, to identify the movie based on taglines. And we're going to start hard and get progressively easier. Uh, I haven't really worked out a rating system, like like if you pass or fail. Okay. Uh, I don't even know if there needs to be one. So I'm going to do seven, right? Seven, yeah. Well, I guess four. And then there's three options for each. Okay. But maybe so if I, I get like four it, out of seven, that's a success. Yeah. Or maybe it should be based on points. Okay. So like the most points you could get would be... 21. 21. Okay. Let's say that. Okay. And then the least would be zero. Uh-huh. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> so I'm gonna say where would what would a good score be? Eleven, I guess. Well, that's like passing, isn't it? That's 11. passing. All right. Well, we think about it, and maybe in future iterations we can we can do what we've done in the past and create like a little bit of a fiction around what's yeah, gonna what, what the result is gonna be if you get X amount of points. I think I think you'll get this one. Okay. I, I have a lot of faith because I picked. A year that I know you're familiar with. Okay. Initially, it was gonna go gonna do 2012, um, because that that's when VHS came out. Mm-hmm. But the movies were a bit too obscure on like a lot of shit I'd never heard of. Sure. But this is 1998. Okay. Prime horror movie time here in the United States. Okay. And abroad. Yeah. Ready? I'm ready. First first uh, tagline. Take me to your teacher. Um, in nineteen ninety-eight, is it the faculty? You just scored three points. Yeah, yeah. thank you. The faculty. Other, uh, the next one would be the alien generation, mm-hmm. and then finally, these six students are about to discover their teachers really are from another planet. That's yeah. That one I okay, would have gotten one, for sure. Yes. <laughs> uh, this one's a bit more difficult. Okay. Prepare for the dawn. Prepare for the dawn. And this is 1998. Um, do I get a guess for each one? Or do I like have... If I guess, then I'm out. And I've used my... For I think many points. if you guess, you're out. Okay. Uh, but you can ask for another clue. Got it. Okay. Um then I'm definitely going to have to do that. Let's go ahead and go for a second clip. All right. For two points, the blood confrontation of the ages is about to begin. (sighs) Okay. It's a difficult one. Well, I think I know. I think it is what I thought it was after the first hint, but the issue is what the fuck is the name of this movie? Um, If it's what I think it is. Um, But the way you responded makes me think that, it is not what I thought. Hmm. Oh, well, I, I don't know. I don't need to be secretive. So the people at home, I was like, is this an underworld movie? Mm. Um, and I know that there's a whole thing with werewolves versus vampires in that. Mm-hmm. Um, but whatever fucking movie where they clash is, I don't know. 98 feels like it could be right towards the beginning. So you know what? I'll just say underworld. Unfortunately, you did not get it, but let's see if you would have gotten there with this third okay. clue. From the master of terror comes a new breed of evil. Oh, is this the Wes Craven? Is this cursed? No, oh. it is John Carpenter's vampires. Oh, 
It's hard. I guess That's Dawn hard. is more of a vampire's thing than a werewolf's thing. What, Probably what one of the, the harder second ones. One? Uh, the blood confrontation of the ages is about to begin. Doesn't make any fucking sense at all. I know. <laughs> Let's see if you get this next one. All right. For three points, it happened to someone who knows someone you know. Is it unfair to? Should you be able to guess on it in each clue? No, it's uh, however no, you want to run it. I guess. Um, urban legend. Ooh, for three points, you did it. Let me uh, just telling that up. There you go. We're at six. Um, the others are just because it didn't happen doesn't mean it can't. Hmm. And then finally, urban legends can kill. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next one for three points. The power of an immortal, the soul of a human, the heart of a hero. Mm. The heart of a hero. That doesn't really jive with the movie that I'm thinking of. But 1998 feels right. I can, I you know what, I can... I can risk a point to make sure or I can sacrifice okay. a point to make sure I get this right. Sometimes it takes one to kill one. Blade. Yeah. Okay. Blade. Um, yeah, the heart of a hero? Not really. He's Yeah, he's not like super heroic. Yeah, he's a very surly guy who just wants to kill vampires. Um, yeah. Uh the last one is part man, part vampire, all hero. Okay. Uh, you know what? I said Carpenter's vampire. This one is also very difficult. <laughs> Maybe shouldn't have included it, but we'll see. Uh, <laughs> fear underground. Mm, okay, I have an idea. Um, let's go for a second clue. For centuries, they told us terror would come from above. We've been looking the wrong way. Okay, so real emphasis on being underground here. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think this would be a, a random Tremors sequel. Um, after the first clue, I was thinking about Screamers. Um, but then the second one doesn't really feel like it fits. And then I was like, with Screamers earlier, is is there a different movie with Ben Affleck in it? Uh, I'll take the third clue, Eric. Okay. I don't know if it's going to help you, okay. but let's see. This time, terror comes from below. <laughs> the fuck? I'll go with Screamers, because I got nothing else. Oh, I'm sorry. You almost is had it. Phantoms? It. It's Phantoms. God damn it. I remember the name right after. <laughs> yeah when he said ben affleck i was like oh he's got it oh man and i even it's i just couldn't remember the name of the movie no that's fair it's a tough one i mean it's not a movie that comes up a lot yeah okay all right for three points some secrets will haunt you forever i have no idea the sequel that will hook you again i still know what you did last time correct I think you are in now the the plus you, column. You, the plus column. Okay. Uh, so, finally, 
this time there's more to fear. <laughs> that's, a, that's a shitty one. It's oh, a really bad one. <laughs> I'll take a second clue, Eric. The honeymoon's gonna be killer. The honeymoon. Okay. What was the first one? This time, there's more to fear. Utterly useless. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I really thought you'd get it with the second one. Bride of Chucky. Yes. Yeah. Fine. The final clue would have been Chucky gets lucky. Nice. Um, okay, so then we get that means we have uh, eighteen points. No, 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 no. Twelve points. Twelve points. That sounds right. Yeah. Well, there you go. Hey, there, that's that's a segment. That's fun. I enjoyed doing that. Yeah, Thanks. it's one. I've, it's kind of been kicking around in my head for a little bit. Uh, one movie I spared you from because uh, it's I don't know if it's technically a horror movie is Fallen, but oh, it's yeah. basically like the the plot it, like the tagline is like detective john hobbs already arrested him and killed him or something like that like, <laughs> and he's back plot. or some shit yeah. like that it was like it's so long i like that movie yeah me too i watched it again recently it makes some really big late 90s cinematography choices oh really yeah Okay, that does it for this episode of Killstreak. Thank you so much for joining us. If you want to check out our socials on Instagram, we are at KillstreakPod. You can write us um, emails at KillstreakPod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail in the show notes, and we'll certainly play that on the air. I don't know. what uh, The next movie, VHS 2, I know it's pretty Ooh, much everywhere. Crackle, Tubi, Peacock, just like, I yeah. think just like the first one. Yep. Yeah. So we'll be talking that next week. And as always, I have to pull up the quote that I'm going to say, and I should have had it's that. It's good ready. to be back, guys. It's nice to be back from from Asia and uh, yeah. uh, living now in the heat of the moment. Um, good to be back for the final year <laughs> of Kill Street. That's right. The last year <laughs> starts with a bang. <laughs> it ends with, and as always... You just knew because you're a boob psychic.